We are in the Psalms. We've started a new series through this spring, uh, heading towards summer. We're going to walk through some selected Psalms. And uh, this is one of uh, really uh, an inspired prayer book for us. The Psalms give expression. The Holy Spirit gives expression to our deepest joys and struggles, our pains and our worship throughout the Psalms. So it is this uh, rich book that the Holy Spirit uses to really to speak for us and to teach us to speak, to teach us to pray, to teach us to worship. Uh, we come to Psalm 2 this morning. And so let's go ahead and read that before I go any further. Hear then the Word of God. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they have set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. But he who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, as for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. And I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your heritage and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's wheel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is living and true. We thank you that you speak and you are not silent. We thank you for these psalms which give expression to the whole counsel of your will and ways express our own hearts to us. Fathers, we come now into Your Word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see Your King high and lifted up, that we might bow the knee and serve You. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We said as we started last week, Psalm 1, it's on the website if you missed it. We said in Psalm 1 and 2, these are, they stand as pillars at the entrance to the Psalms, the longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters. And standing at the entrance are Psalm 1, a psalm about God's law, His Torah, its centrality, its beauty, its power, its place in the life of the believer. And Psalm 2 stands as a, an introduction to the Messiah, to the King to the Lord's anointed King and His Son. Uh, so we have law and Gospel standing at the, the entrance to the Psalms. And really these two stand as a summary of the whole counsel of God's Word. Of His law uh, as it has been applied and understood through the Old Testament. Of His Messiah King prophesied in, uh, in typology and prophecy in the Old and coming in the New. And uh, all of the Gospel that's in there. And so... We have a summary in many ways of the whole of the Scripture in these two Psalms pointing the way. Psalm 2 stands here at the beginning. It is a song of a psalm, a song of coronation. 
It's a celebration of the installation of a king. God establishing and installing His king over His people. And so the psalm comes then not just to God's people as He installs their king, but it really is a call to all of the nations. It's a call to the whole world to adore and follow the Messiah King, to submit to Him and to serve Him alone. Right? We're introduced to the Lord's anointed in verse 2 as He speaks. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers, they counsel together against the Lord. Whenever you have Lord in all caps, that's God's name. Against the Lord, against Yahweh and His anointed. Right? Most of you know that that word anointed is the translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Uh, Messiah is just a general Hebrew word that means anointed. And, and so here when it speaks of that, it literally is translating the word Messiah in the same word transliterated or translated into the Greek. The Greek word for anointed that's used for this is Christ. And so here we are introduced to the Lord's anointed, to His Messiah. And, and that anointed, that is a general term, and, and there were several anointed offices. Prophets were anointed. Um, the uh, priests were anointed. And kings were anointed. Jesus is in many ways now our prophet, priest, and king. All of the Messiah's offices are embodied in Christ alone. But that term anointed, the Lord's anointed, as it is given to us here, and as it is unfolded in the Psalms and the prophets, um, takes on a technical sense. Uh, this sense that there is uh, an anointed one, a Messiah that will come. Right? It becomes this eschatological figure. Eschatology is that uh, study of the end times. And so this eschatological figure, that means it's a future figure. See here, there is a coronation of a real king. And there were real coronations of kings in Israel. But it, it takes on this eschatological view that there is a king who is coming. There is this figure that stands in, in the future that Israel begins to hope in. Israel suffered at the hands of these raging nations. And so there comes a promise, an expectation that the Lord would send an anointed one, a Messiah, who would deliver them. And we see in verse 7 as this unfolds, I will tell the decree, God declares this thing, that this anointed one, the Messiah, is also the Son of God. Right? The Lord said to me, you are my Son. Today, in your installation and coronation as the King, Today I have begotten you. I have adopted you. I have made you. I have declared you to be my son. When the king is established, in, even in this in the Old Testament, and it runs through here in the time of the kingships, that the king is in one sense understood to be God's son. Uh, and in this way, his, his vice regent, his ruler on the earth. The Messiah King is the Son of God, is His heir. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. The ends of the earth your possession. Right? They will be your inheritance. As God's heir, they will inherit from Him what He possesses, which is all the nations of the earth. He is King over the whole world. And Lord of the nations. But here's the thing, is that the Old Testament sees the failure of all this. We see the failure of David's dynasty. When the Old Testament ends, there is no king. 
in the Davidic line, in the Davidic dynasty, on the throne. There's only a governor in Israel. And so the Old Testament, as I say, closes with all of this being unfulfilled. Being not true at that moment. And so there's this growing expectation that's developed through the prophets. Again, of that eschatological figure, that Messiah-anointed King who would come and deliver Israel. And so, under the first point, Luke 2, 25 and 26, I preach from this text over Christmas. Go back and listen. A Simeon song when, when Jesus shows up. But here's what, what it says, you know, just connecting these two things. Simeon, it says, is waiting for the consolation of Israel, for that eschatological figure to come. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Right? It's almost the same words there against the Lord and his anointed, his Christ. Christ is simply the word anointed in Greek. It is his, not his last name, it is his office of Messiah. And so that's what Simeon is waiting for. He's waiting for the Lord's King, his anointed Messiah, his son to come. This psalm then is one of the most quoted and referenced in the New Testament. One of, I think, three, and there's an argument about which is quoted most, and some would argue this is quoted the most. In other words, the New Testament sees this psalm to be about Jesus. That is, the Holy Spirit sees this psalm to be about Jesus and about His enthronement. It opens in verse 1 with the raging of the nations. The plotting of the nations. We live in a world that has rebelled against its Creator. If you don't understand this, then you understand very little about the Bible and very little about the world around you. We live in a world that is in rebellion against its rightful King. A world that is in rebellion against the Creator God who made them. Right, The kings and the rulers of the earth in verse 2 have set themselves and counseled together against Yahweh and His King, His Anointed One. Right? They've set themselves against Him. Against God Himself. Like We are introduced into, and this is, I think, from the, from the first pages of the Scripture where the serpent deceives and enters into, but we're introduced to a, a cosmic and epic conflict. This is why I like, and yes, I have to throw Lord of the Rings in every so often just to, to get my own fix. Um, but that's one of the roles that that kind of fiction plays in our lives. Uh, it was written by a guy who believes the Scripture, but it introduces us to a conflict on an epic scale. right? And, and this is something we have to have in our heads. And so stories like that help to capture our imagination to see beyond the veil of this world to the chariots of fire and to the spiritual realms to a, to a world in conflict. There's an epic conflict going on. Good and evil. It engages the whole world. The kings of the earth and the rulers have set themselves against their God and have gone to war. And so in verse 3, they speak and the words are put in their mouth. Right? Here's what they say. Here's the essence of their rebellion. Let us cast Burst their bonds apart. Let us cast away their cords from us. Right? In other words, we don't want to live under His rule. 
We don't want Him to be our King. We don't want to obey His law. We don't want to be told what is right. We don't want to be told what we can do and what we can't do. We will burst His bonds. We will cast away His yoke. Ever since the fall, ever since the beginning of the world, the beginning of this great rebellion, the world has been divided into two kinds of people. We talked about this last week. Again, you can go back. The world has been divided into two distinct groups since the beginning of this rebellion with Adam and Eve at the, at the, at the dawn of human race. There are those who love God and who follow Him and have bowed the knee and so show that, evidence that, by seeking to live according to His will and His way, His Word and His law. They let God be God and let Him tell us. And then there are those who rebel against His law. There are those who will not be told what to do and what is right and what is wrong. Those who will cast off restraint and say, we're going to do life on our own terms. We're going to do sexuality on our, on our own terms. We're going to do with our money what we want to do with our money. We're going to treat each other the way we... We're going to do life on our own terms. We will cast off restraint. And the cords of His reign and His rule. See, the world wants to do life without moral law. They don't want a God telling them what to do. See, people love the idea of God. You live in a world, you know, how many people believe in God? You take a poll in America, like, I don't know, what, 80 or 90 percent. It's some ridiculously high number. Maybe not ridiculously high, but, you know, compared to a lot of nations, you go to Europe and the number drops dramatically. But it's this huge, I guess it's ridiculous in the sense that if so many people believe in God, why are we such a mess? So in that sense, maybe it's ridiculous. You say you believe in God, so do the demons. That is the problem. 80 or 90, see, people love the idea of God. They, they love the idea that there is a God, that, that He can bless you, that He can help you, that he will, he will be there for you when you die and give you a heaven and something more. See, they like the idea of God. They don't like the idea without being with a God. But what they don't like is the real God. What they don't like is the God of the Bible. What they come up against is this God, you know, the God who's in the Bible who says... You must submit to my word, embrace my law. You must bow the knee and kiss my son, lest he be angry. Right? You must, you must submit to my word and to my way. I'm God. I'm the creator. You are the creature. I define it. I determine it. I tell you. You don't tell me. Right? That kind of a God, this world, they see they, want to, they don't want to do life his way, and so they reject him. You know, this nebulous idea of God, that's great. But as soon as God starts telling you what to do with your life, telling you what to believe, telling you how to live, telling you what you can do or what you can't do, well, this is a God they reject. He is cast right out. They don't want restraint. They hate Him. They hate this God. And if they could get their hands on Him, they would kill Him. You believe that? I mean, that's the tenor of the nations that rage and burst it off. If they could get their hands on Him, they would kill Him. Destroy the reign and the rule that brings us under. This is, of course, exactly what happens, isn't it? When Messiah King comes. When He comes, (laughs) they kill Him. It's there in your bulletin. It's also 
Under the second point there, Acts chapter 4, Truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, your Messiah. Right? Same word. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and the, Gentiles and the people of Israel. Here, every nation of the earth raged against Him, including the Jews, including Israel. He says, all of them united in one thing to destroy the Messiah King. To kill this One who comes. Why would they want to kill Him? See, here in this psalm, the one against whom the nations rage is the King of Israel. I mean, this has its historical context. It's written for the, the coronation of a real king in Israel, David and his successors. But the rebellion and raging is ultimately aimed against David's ultimate son, his heir, Jesus, the Messiah King. Though he lived a perfect and sinless life, the Scriptures agree on this, he was without sin. Pilate washed his hands saying, I find, I find no wrong in this man. I mean, it is united to say the man lived a, a, a sinless life, that he was perfect, that he loved people, that he probably lived the most beautiful life ever lived. Because he loved God with all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind. He kept the law every jot and tittle. And he loved his neighbor as himself. And he lived the most beautiful life that was ever lived. And when the light shined in the darkness, revealing the darkness, the darkness snuffed it out. Right? That's what Jesus says. It's there again, John 3.19. He says, Jesus says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so they crucified the Holy One. This is still the way it is. God and His King are okay as long as they don't ask too much of us. As long as they don't meddle. As long as they don't criticize my lifestyle or judge me. As long as they're tolerant, okay. But when it starts to criticize and judge my rebellious lifestyle, let us burst their bonds and cast away their cords from us. When the light exposes our deeds for what they are, we will put it out. When we stand back from this picture, painted here and through the Scripture, there is a dark humor to it. Right? We see this humor in verse 4. He who sits in heaven laughs. I don't think this is a mocking laugh. I don't, I don't think there's anything... I think there is here in the Lord looking at this situation what any of us would do, whatever side of the coin we were on, whatever side of the fence we were on, when you look back and you stand and you look at this situation, it's laughable. There's a silliness to it. Because this one against who they rebel, we are told He is the Lord. He is Yahweh. He is the Almighty. He is the Maker of heaven and earth. And of every human being that exists. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the omnipotent, uncreated, self-existing deity who made us. 
and who lives enthroned above the circle of the heavens and he has made the the you know the entire universe is when you stand and look at the expanse of the the stars and the galaxies and the distance the one who made all these things this is the lord against whom they rebel i couldn't help myself i mean it's laughable like the grasshoppers in your front yard conspiring to get you Right? The grasshoppers conspiring. There's a silliness to it. They're going to go to war with you. Only this is more ridiculous. I couldn't help myself, so I put in this passage in Isaiah 40, which what it made me think of is the Scripture is so consistent on these things. And so in Isaiah 40, we read this. And bear with me. It's a little bit long, but do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you? From the very beginning, have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who brings princes, these kings who conspire to nothing. And He makes the rulers who counsel together of the earth as emptiness. He brings them to nothing. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. And He blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. History is littered with their names. To whom then will you compare Me? That I should be like Him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see these stars. These Who created them? Who brings them out their host by number? Calling them by name, by the greatness of His might. He is strong in power, so not one of them is missing. The heavens turn and are because of His power. Why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded from my God? I'll do what I want and He won't see. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God and He is the Creator of heaven and earth. Yahweh laughs. Don't you know? (laughs) Have you not heard? Like, this is not negotiable. This is the Lord. And so He says, this One who sits in heaven and, and observes the rebellion of that which He has made, as it sets Himself against Him, and He says, I have installed My King Verse 6, I have set my king on Zion, on my holy hill. I have established my kingdom. It's exemplified in David. And then his heirs. I have established my kingdom. And David is king over this nation whom I have called and whom I have chosen. And whom I have brought together and delivered them into a land that I gave them and defined the kingdom that I established on the earth and installed my king. And David rules as God's vice regent. He rules under God. And God reigned on the earth through His king. And it has been so ever since. He reigns through His King. And so Israel becomes this little microcosm, this little kingdom of God that that God carves out and establishes a king. 
And as this little microcosm of the kingdom of God, it is a shadow and a type pointing ahead. Pointing to something more. Pointing to something bigger. Pointing beyond itself. Pointing to the greater Son of David and to the greater kingdom that will encompass all of the earth. To the nations to which this psalm speaks. I will give the nations as your inheritance. And the peoples of the earth will be your possession. And so we see King David as his type fulfilled in the Messiah in every way. That's why I say this is one of the most quoted in the New Testament. You know, in verse 7, it's quoted all the time. The Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. It's, it's quoted at least twice in the book of Hebrews as saying, This is, this is Christ that He's speaking to. We see it sort of acted out in the Gospels. At least two times, God speaks over His Son and says a very similar thing. This is My Son in whom I have well pleased. Right? I establish Him. Today, I have begotten you. The verse is quoted and applied to Jesus numerous times throughout the New Testament. Acts 13.33, there in your bulletin, God has fulfilled this promise. Which promise? He's going to say Psalm 2. right? God has fulfilled this promise to our children. He raised up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, Today you are My Son. Today I have begotten you. He's saying the resurrection of Jesus. We have to understand that at the resurrection of Jesus, He was installed at the right hand of the Father. He was installed as King. And this is His coronation psalm. And the New Testament sings it and brings it out and quotes it again and again and says specifically, God fulfilled this promise when He raised Jesus from the dead and installed Him as King over His people on His holy hill, which is ultimately heaven. His throne. To rule, not just over Israel, but to rule over the nations. Romans 1, there it is, he says. He promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, like in Psalm 2, who was descended from David according to the flesh, but he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit in the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus, Messiah, our Kurios, our Lord, our King. Our Messiah. Jesus, our Messiah, King. And so we are introduced to this One who would come, this One who did come. This One who fulfills not only this whole psalm and His own coronation at the right hand of the Father, but who fulfills so much more of God's intention and is prophesying and is promising of one who would come. And he sits upon his throne. So let's think if this is all true as he introduces him to us. Let me just run through some quick applications, three or four. The first one is here in the text, and it's so clear. Verses 10 to 12. Now, therefore, therefore, what do we do? <laughs> therefore, do this, O kings, rulers, and these are the same guys here in verse 10 that he's talking to who were talking in verses 2 and 3, right? The kings set themselves against. The rulers counsel against. Here in verse 10, he says, okay now, kings. Okay, rulers. Okay, oh, you who are in rebellion on the earth. Serve the Lord with fear 
and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those, all who take refuge in Him. Right? He says three things. He says, be wise. Right? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The one that you have set yourself against, He is the Lord, the everlasting God, and the Creator of heaven and earth. Be wise. Be warned. Right? And then two, He says, serve the Lord. Put an end to your rebellion. Stop this foolishness. Submit yourself to the God who made you. Come under His reign and His rule and be His people. And third, He says, and kiss the Son, lest He be angry. Jesus offers peace. Jesus has come to save. Right? Jesus calls us to faith. John 3.17, two verses before He says, this is the judgment, light is coming to the world. Men love darkness because their deeds were evil. Two verses before that, He says this, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That's why He's come. In the verse before this, you all know, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Right? Jesus died to pay the penalty of our rebellion. The Bible calls it sin. Sin in its sort of way it takes root and comes from and flows out of our hearts and then in every rebellious thing and every rebellious way that we have set up against the Lord in His way. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our rebellion. He died for our sin. He died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be returned, so that we could be restored. And then He says, kiss the Son. Jesus calls us in the New Testament, that's faith. Right? He calls us to put our faith and our trust in the Son. Um, to adore Him, to worship Him. In the Old Testament, one of the words for worship was to kiss towards. Um, and it's, it's this image, to kiss the Son is to give Him homage. To bow the knee. The Bible says someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Do it now. The time is right. Jesus in John 8 says, unless you believe that I am He, that I am this One, this Messiah King prophesied thousands of years ago, this One whom the Lord says that He is the Lord's anointed, that God has set Him on His throne, that He has come as the Messiah King, the Savior, unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. We will die in our rebellion. So put your faith and your trust in Christ. Before the day is done, I would encourage you to reflect on Christ and His claim on your life. And to bow the knee and to put your trust in Him as your Savior, who would save you from your own rebellion, and your King, who would reign in your life. Let me give you three more quick ones. If you've already done that, there are just a few quick things that come out of this. One, you must not be surprised that the nations rage against the Lord and His anointed. Sometimes I think the church, we act so surprised when things go the way they do, when things go bad. And I think sometimes we in this time and in this place have lived in a bubble. But the truth is this, right? We are engaged, the world is engaged in an epic struggle, an epic 
war. The nations rage. They have rejected their God. They have cast off His law. And this is the reality in which you and I live every day. That's why Jesus says, if they persecute you, don't be surprised. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He says that will be the way of it. Because you live in a world that hates the light. Light has come in the world, but men love darkness because their deeds are evil. And when you live in the light, it exposes the darkness. And if they crucified me, they will, in a sense, crucify you. And so, we need grace and courage and strength to live in this reality. Paul in Acts 4.29, he says, this is your last point, look upon their threats, O Lord. And grant us Your servants to continue to speak Your Word with boldness. There are threats. They rage against You and against Your Word. But give us, Your people, boldness to live for You and to speak the truth. To be lights in the darkness. But let me say this too then. Remember they also they rage in vain. And the Scripture is clear. They rage. And we live in that era. We live in this struggle. But they rage in vain. The Lord Almighty laughs. There is a day of wrath. He says, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions. The Gospel will be preached to all nations. Jesus is building His church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. The Lord laughs. He will build His kingdom. He does reign. He is sovereign. And their day is coming. The day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Messiah King. And so my friends, let us live like He is our King. Let us bow the knee every day and own Him as our Lord. He asks the Pharisees when He came to His church in Israel, and He asked those who claimed to represent His church, and He asked them, why do you call Me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's a question that comes to the church again and again. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you're not going to do what I say? We serve and love a gracious Lord. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. The psalm ends with that promise. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Your King is your Savior. He's loved you to death. He has gone before us. He reigns in power. And He has owned us as His own. Pray with me. Father in Heaven, we thank You for the fact that You are the everlasting Lord. That You reign in power and glory. That we do not live in a world that is out of control. And though it looks like it, and though it is a great mess, It is because of our rebellion that your world looks like it does. God, forgive us. I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. I am a man who has sinned against you and I live in a nation that has sinned against you in a world that has set itself against you that has cast off your rule and your reign. God, have mercy. Revive your church and start with me. 
Start with us. That we would bow the knee afresh to be Your people. To claim You as our Savior and our King. That we would live for You without fear. Knowing that You are the true and rightful Lord of this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.